Our scripture text this morning is from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I think I can speak confidently that most of us love uh, celebrations, um, whether it's Christmas, which is coming up actually very quickly, 99 days away, or anniversaries or birthdays. And I know we love celebrations. You can always tell because when you forget one of them, you find out how much they really do love them. Um, but we have a celebration today. Four people are being baptized. And um, it's an exciting time to, to see these folks uh, kind of publicly declare their faith in God. And uh, so sometimes it's worthwhile to step out of the text we're preaching, which has been in Second Timothy, and to just look at baptism to remind you of the glory and the beauty of baptism. And not just that they understand it better and you understand it better, but that you might think back on your own baptism, your own walk of faith. You know, it's like when you go to a, a wedding, you know, you're reminded of the vows that you made so many years ago. And, and so it's kind of a refreshing thing for your own soul. So that's why I want to kind of look at this Romans passage. We're kind of popping into chapter six. It's like parachuting. Let me give you a little landscape that you're landing in. You know, Paul in the first four chapters has spoken about the incredible grace of God that he has given to sinners of all people. And that God in his mercy has given a son and the son has come and he has borne our punishment. He suffered our shame. He has been crucified and yet he's been raised by the power of God and that all with faith in him. Uh, will be reconciled and adopted by, by God. This is incredible news. And, uh, and then it moves from chapter 4 to chapter 5, uh, where we walk in this newness of light. This kind of change has taken place. God has changed us uh, through this salvation. But I think when you're reading through Romans, you realize that some people began to make this maybe incorrect connection. That if sin has brought about the grace of God, maybe we should keep sinning and that way more grace will come to us. You see that if you look in your text with me at one and two, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul is going to explain here what happened when we were converted. He's going to explain what happened to you. What was the spiritual effect that God did on you when you met Jesus Christ? When you were born again? And that's what we see in 3, 4, and 5. In 3, 4, and 5, we see this work, this unseen work of God in terms of changing us. So, of course, we wouldn't want to continue living the same way that we lived. We're going to live differently because now God is dwelling in us by his spirit. So, baptism doesn't accomplish the salvation, but it pictures it. It visualizes it. It's going to show us what God did when you were converted. So, there's 
simply three things I'm going to share with you about the nature of baptism. And the first is that baptism, when we come to faith in Christ, there is a death that all Christians go through. It's a death to sin. Look with me at verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So he's speaking about baptism here, both with spirit and water, right? All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that means that we have been converted. We have been saved by Christ. Those people and those people alone have been baptized into his death. Now, what does this mean? Well, before we get there, notice he says, uh, do you not know? Uh, The assumption is they should have known. They were taught these things. Perhaps they had forgotten. This is a reason that we remind you of things over and over. We're apt to forget. And he says, don't you know that all of us have been baptized? In other words, each person is baptized. Each Christian, that is. And the assumption is, to these Roman Christians, that if you have been converted by the power of God, that you would be baptized in water to display that. So Paul's saying, don't you know this, that we've all been baptized? But then he says, we've been baptized into his death. What does that mean? Well, I don't think he means a physical death like we die. I think being baptized into his death means that we're being identified with Jesus in his death. In other words, by faith, God unites us to Christ so that when Christ died for the penalty of sin, and to break the power of sin, that you by faith receive the benefits of his work through faith. So God sees you united. And that word, that Greek word united, is kind of like engrafted. It's like engrafting a branch in a tree. You become one with him so that all the benefits that Jesus Christ has achieved through his death are now yours Because you died with him. You died with him. So what that means is the old man. We all were born with a self. We call it the old Adam or the old man. The way we've always lived. That died with Jesus. So that now we can begin, as we'll see in verse 4, to live with a, a new life. This is what it means to be born again. We died and were given new birth by the Spirit through faith. But notice that the death is not simply metaphorical. He actually believes it because he says, look in verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So what follows a death is always a burial. And so he's saying that you both died with Christ to the penalty and the power of sin, and you were buried with him. And and, and we know that Paul is probably referencing water baptism here as the sign of it, because Paul uses, uh, every time he uses the word baptism, it relates to water. And so when you think about it, when these friends will go under the water, it's a picture of them being buried with Jesus in baptism. So the word baptism just means plunge, dip, immerse. It's kind of going under. It's used for ships that sunk and people that drown. And so when you see them go down, the water becomes a coffin, if you will, because now we're di- we died to the old life. The old life is dead. Again, it's not the cessation of human functioning. It's not the cessation of life. We died to the old man. The me at the center of my world died. 
Me wanting to be all things. Me wanting to be the main star in my life has died. God is now the centerpiece of my life. So that's the first thing we see is Paul saying that there is a spiritual reality that when you were baptized in Christ as visualized in going down the water, the old man in you that was always driven towards sin or selfishness or meism, that died. It doesn't mean you're not tempted to keep going there, but now you have the power to turn in faith towards God. And the remarkable thing about baptism is it really is a public declaration of guilt. These people are standing up saying, we are guilty of sin, and we repent of it, and we want to be changed. You know, a lot of times we have non-Christians come to these baptisms, and people wonder what is going on. And they think, oh, this is just another act of the church. A lot of times we look at the church, and the non-Christian may say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And I would probably not fully deny that, but I'd probably say, well, I'd expand it to the world is full of hypocrites. But the interesting and the irony about the Christian is that the Christian at least is morally honest to admit, we need a Savior, we have sinned, we have broken all the laws at some level, It'll look different in each of our lives, but we are all guilty and we need to be saved, delivered, rescued from heaven. And that's really what is being declared, that we've been united with Christ in his death. So, so there is a spiritual reality for the Christian here, not for the non-Christian. Now, the non-Christian cannot turn away from himself. He may do moral acts, but it'll be for himself or herself. But, but, but for the Christian that old man has died. We can change. And that's what we see in verse 4. Look with me in 4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there is a purpose to dying with Christ. There is a result. And the result is that we're changed. We begin to walk in newness of life. Now, this newness of life, the change that should take place in the life of the believer, is not due to your personal reforms or your moral promises that you're going to be different. The power that changes you is the same power. Paul's saying the same power that God exercised raising Jesus from the dead, that power now enables us to walk in a different way, a different life. Now think about it. When Jesus was raised from the dead, that power is a sign of a new age breaking into our old age. Think about it. Lazarus was raised too, but he was raised and died again. When Jesus was raised, he never died again. He said, I was dead in Revelation 1, but I'm alive forevermore. So the resurrection of Jesus was bringing a new age into this present evil age. He's saying the power that God exercised is now being given to his children that they might live differently. That, you know, we, our minds are renewed. Our motivations are changed. Our behaviors are changed. We can begin to live for the honor of God, not seeking our honor. As, as Keith prayed, we can now really boast in God without boasting in ourselves. That, that is the moral change that comes to us that we can begin to walk in this newness of life. And it's by the power of God. In fact, Tim Keller writes, he changes us by his spirit so that we do not continue in our old ways. We're changed. We seek to represent Jesus. 
the one with whom we've been identified, reflecting his righteousness, justice, and love. Now remember, this doesn't mean we're sinless. It just means incrementally we sin less because the Spirit of God is moving. We now have the power by faith to honor God by turning away from sin. I never thought to turn away from sin before Christ unless it served my personal interests. I, I would pursue what pleased me the most. It may be a moral track for a while, or it may be immoral. But I did what it's different when I was changed. I had the power to do it for the glory of God. But it doesn't mean I don't struggle with sin. But now we have that power operating in us to change us. And this is why the Christian should look incrementally different over the age. Why? Well, because the Spirit of God is working in you, producing fruits. That's why I think it was Calvin that said, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. And so if, if some people, they claim the title Christian, but their lives reflect no difference over the years, it doesn't mean we don't fall back periodically, but if their lives don't affect any change over the years, then we have to begin to wonder, is faith operating? Have they been born again? Because God brings that power, that, that new age into us. So there's a difference so you see, first, that we've been baptized with Christ in his death. So we died to our old life, and now we've been given new life. Now we can walk in the newness of life. That's what he means by we're born again with now not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. But notice the third thing, that this baptism points to a future and full change. Look with me at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you notice what Paul's doing here, his point? His point is that we are not changed fully right now, but we will. There's a future tense, right? We will certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like his. We're being changed right now incrementally. I mean, I was looking at a friend the other day who I've known for over 50 years, and we were just commenting, God has changed us. We've been changed. Uh, not, not fully, not fully, uh, but, but the evidence of that future change is displayed right now. We call this an overlapping of the ages. God has actually pulled some of heaven back into this life with power to change us so that we see in our change that it's pointing to a future change. We'll be like him when we see him. In other words, we have not been raised fully. We haven't been completely renewed. But the change that's taken place now is like a foretaste of that which is coming. So in some ways, baptism is like the Lord's Supper. It looks for that day when he will make us like himself. In fact, we read these words. It says um, in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. It's a different change. Jesus was raised to never die. We will have a resurrection like his. So we too will be raised. This is the hope of the Christian. So when you see the baptism, you see it looking back to the old man has died as they go under the water. Uh, they come out of the water pointing to that future complete renewal. And until that comes, they're going to walk in the newness of life. So what you see in baptism is really a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus. 
You know, he died, we died with him. He was buried, we're buried with him. He was raised to new life, so are we being raised to new life. So friends, this is an incredible event that you get to visualize. You get to see what God did in secret. You get to see it pictured there. So the reason we have these moments and gather the church together is because baptism is, is an act of faith, right? The water doesn't save, but the water pictures it. Uh, faith has to be in the person being baptized for baptism to truly visualize what's happened. Faith is necessary. And this is why we do not baptize children. You know, faith presumes an awareness of your sin. Now, let me explain from 1 Peter chapter uh, 3. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, the person being baptized is appealing to God. I see my sin. I see my guilt. I see my shame. I see that I can't do it. I have a full knowledge of my sin. God, you have to save me. You have to make me like the son. And so it requires an awareness, a self-awareness, personal conviction of sin, knowledge of Christ. So baptism is with faith. Secondly, baptism is an act of the church. Right? People don't baptize themselves. No, they get baptized in the church. Why in the church? Well, because the church is there to confirm, yes, we've seen the fruit born. Yes, we've seen the Spirit of God change your life. The church isn't just confirming it, but the church is participating in helping you grow in the newness of life that he speaks about in verse 4. This is why we always relate baptism and church membership. The church is the incubator of faith. It creates and strengthens you in our relationships, in the hearing of the word, in the prayers, in the singing. So baptism is an act of the church. We don't do it alone. We don't do, you know, kind of these private baptisms. It's a public event. And then third, baptism is the public display of the gospel. You will get to see the gospel put on display, that they are stepping forth confessing. And that's what I'll ask them. Do you today confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? Do you promise to follow him all the days of your life? They will say, I do. This is really, as one author said, this is the way that the church would always do altar calls. A lot of you have been raised in churches where they do altar calls every week. That's the altar call. The altar call, you're walking down and you're confessing publicly, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and I'm committing my life by getting into this pool, showing that I've died, I've been raised, and I'm looking forward to a, resur to a resurrection like his. So this is what we're experiencing today. It's an incredible celebration, God giving new life to us. So we have four testimonies. They're going to they're gonna appear on the screen right behind me on the TVs, and uh, you're going to get to watch them. Just sit back and enjoy them. Uh, and, and then if you're here and you're not a Christian today, ask them about their experience. I mean, speak to them about it. But just rejoice with me over all uh, that God has done in their lives. Thank you. Hi, my name is Morgan Finney. I've been attending Christ Covenant for about two and a half years now. My husband Trevor and I have been living in Raleigh for just about three years. And when I was younger, before I knew Jesus, I grew up with divorced parents. 
one who brought me up loosely in the Catholic Church where we attended occasionally, and I made some of my sacraments, but we really didn't talk about God at home. And on the other side, I had a parent who brought us up in a more contemporary, non-denominational church that we were very plugged into, so things looked very different. We attended regularly, and we did pray often before meals and bedtime. We talked about God, but things looked through more of a legalistic lens. I was taught to do certain things or not do certain things because that would make me good and go to heaven one day, and if not, then I would be punished. And that started to instill a lot of anxiety in me from a young age. I was afraid to make mistakes, and I didn't understand the concept of grace. I remember questioning if I even believed in God for myself or not, and I felt like I couldn't admit that out loud. And I felt very uncomfortable by the act of worshiping God because I didn't know who he was and I didn't see how he could be worthy of that. I was just taught to obey him and I didn't understand his sacrificial, unconditional love for me. So I really started to pull back and for the next several years of my life, I started to resent God and the church and I assumed that all Christians were judgmental because of the things that I had witnessed firsthand. And because I thought I was a good and moral person, I didn't see the need for faith to define me. And when I came to New Jesus, all of that changed. So three years ago, I moved to Raleigh with Trevor when we were engaged planning our wedding. And we knew very few people in the area. And on the day we moved into our apartment, we met our next-door neighbors, another young, newly married couple that we could become friends with, and they happened to tell us that they were Christians. And at the same time, I was starting to prepare my heart for marriage and what it meant to be a wife. And I started to see women in my line of sight who were Christians talking about biblical marriage. And I had no idea what that meant, but it piqued my interest, and I started to listen for the first time in my life. And all of these thoughts and memories of God and of church started flooding back in, and all of a sudden, I couldn't turn them off. I wanted to know God for real for the first time in my life. I wanted to know what the Bible says. I wanted to go to church again. So I started talking to Trevor about some of these things, and at first he was very confused. He didn't know where this was coming from, and he had never known me to be this way. So it did cause us some tension for a period of time because we had generally always agreed on things, and for the first time this was a big barrier in our life. And I started to fear what the rest of our life together would look like if we were on two different pages of faith. I loved my fiancé, but I was starting to now love Jesus, and I couldn't turn that off. I told him that I wanted to go to church for Easter for the first time, and to my surprise, he told me that he would go with me because he didn't want me to go alone, and he wanted to support me. By the grace and kindness of the Lord, he started to change Trevor's heart, too. So we now had a purpose together to walk through life with the Lord at the center of our marriage. 
we started to talk about these new curiosities with our friends next door and they were so excited for us because what we didn't know is they had been praying for us to get to know the Lord. And they shared the gospel with us for the first time. And when we had never opened a Bible before, they walked line by line through scripture with us, answering any questions that we may have had and never once made us feel unworthy or unholy or not prepared when we didn't know everything that we wanted to know and we felt insecure. So they introduced us to people and even invited us to their church. And that's how we came to Christ's covenant. And I'm so grateful to God for placing us at this church and all the people that he's placed in our life because it's truly shaped my journey to faith. It's shaped our marriage and our parenting and how we look at life and relationships and the Lord differently now. So today I'm choosing to be baptized because I understand the weight of being completely dead in my sin and that I need Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's nothing I could ever do to change that. So as my love for him grows and out of obedience, I'm choosing to take up my cross and follow him the rest of my life. My name's Trevor Finney. I've been attending Christ Covenant now for about two and a half years. Um, I grew up in a non-believing household, and besides the occasional Christmas Eve service, my family didn't attend church, and we didn't discuss faith or God in our home at all. Um, I grew up thinking that if I was a good enough person that I would get a chance to get to go to heaven. The Gospels were never really explained to me, and it wasn't until we moved to North Carolina, um, my wife Morgan and I, that the gospel was shared with us for the very first time by our neighbors. Um, and I was still pretty opposed to it. I wasn't, I didn't have any opinions or thoughts on it. I just didn't understand why I'd never questioned anything. At the same time, Morgan and I were recently engaged and she already reignited her journey in faith and I just, didn't understand it, and I didn't want to understand it. It was a very challenging time in my life. Um, I felt like I was losing my best friend. Um, I just, I was hopeful that something would just happen to me that I could just get on the same page with her again. Um, and it wasn't until agreeing to start attending church with her um, and got to really listen to the word and that I, I started to recognize what I was missing um, and missing in Jesus and in faith and recognizing my sins and why I needed a savior. I'm just grateful to God that he gave me the spirit to, to listen intently and start having questions for our neighbors who were gracious enough to you know, go over any questions that we had and invite us to Christ's covenant. And I got to be surrounded by godly people, godly men who got to live, I got to watch live out their faith. I'm just grateful to God that he's given me everything that I have today and that I have a wonderful wife who has supported me and has prayed for me to where I am today. And I want to be baptized because I'm, I, I love Jesus. And I want to
glorify him. And I want to live out my days knowing that, that he loves me and that he's given me eternal life. And I just, I, I look forward to living this life out with my wife and, and sharing the word and being given the opportunity to talk about God with my friends and my non-believing friends, getting to see us live that out too. Hi, my name is Ben Luther. I have attended Christ Covenant Church since the year 2000. I moved down with my parents and family from Maryland when I was eight, and um, up until 18 was a regular attendee here and off and on since. Um, I was raised in a great family, um, taught to have a love for Christ and, and taught values that I knew were true. Um, from a young age, I struggled, though, to live that out. I struggled with sin and selfishness. And although I did make a prayer um, at the age of 9 or 10, um, the actions and fruit of my life did not display that I had given my life to Christ. Throughout uh, my Childhood, there was a lot of problems at home, and particularly around 17, 18, getting into drugs and alcohol, leading to me getting kicked out at 18 because of arrests and stealing that I was doing and a variety of other things, even leading to my dad stepping down as pastor here in 2011 due to the disaster I, I'd created in the family. Um, throughout, ever since then, I, Throughout variety of attempts at sobriety and to walk out of faith um, that I, I knew in my head was true but did not feel in my heart or display in my actions. I uh, struggled with more arrests and it culminated the last three and a half years of my mom's ALS um, where I wasn't present in a way that my sister and dad and other family members were. I would pop in when it was convenient to me. To be around, I might place more of an importance on drugs and alcohol and girlfriends and money and things that I, I wanted to, thought would make me happy. And through my family walking out of, of faith and trusting God, with my mom's um, death, I uh, was, my eyes were open in a way that was unexpected, um, kind of culminating last year with uh, a struggle with cocaine and alcohol, and in uh, January that coming to light in a way that hadn't before, and I uh, went to my dad's and went through withdrawals and could not stop um, turning to drugs and alcohol for a solution to, to fix my problems. It, uh, my actual conversion would have been February 15th. I. Uh, had stolen my dad's credit card information the day before, and uh, I texted him when it, it didn't work to get what I wanted, just ashamed. And I went to an AA meeting that night and I cried about the fact that I didn't think I could ever forgive myself for not being there for my mom. And I talked to my dad that night and he shared that uh, I, if I wouldn't forgive myself and God had forgiven me, that means I knew better than God. And the next night, I felt called to get on the floor of the room I was at and just cried and prayed for him to do something in my life. And um, I wrote down a, a paragraph in a journal I had and uh, 
the next day I woke up and I started praying and asking him to help me. And ever since, God has done a daily work in my life to change my heart, to have a heart for him, a heart for living differently and helping others. And it's been displayed in just a, a work that he's done to change who I am. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that. I, uh, I, my, the nature of my sin has been very obvious my whole life. And um, because of that forgiveness that I feel through Christ, I just have a heart to share my story and, and, to, uh, and a heart to help others. You know, it's it's been daily. I've been made aware more and more daily of my need for Christ, for my forgiveness, for the sins of my past, present, and future. And uh, I'll continue to, to fail in this world, and I'll turn to Him for repentance and grow from it. And and I enjoy getting to, to share my story to show others the, the forgiveness that Christ has to save a sinner like me. And I want to get baptized just to, as a public, declaration of my faith and my acknowledgement that, that Christ gave his life so that I could live. Though I was born into a Christian family, I didn't come to know the Lord until I was in high school. I was a baby when I contracted polio and was left a quadriplegic, but miraculously, I was able to walk at age seven after multiple operations. In fact, I had 21 operations by the time I was 13 and spent months in the hospital every year. That, combined with the bullying that I dealt with when I was in grade school, left me angry at God and angry at the world, and I took it out mostly on my sister. When I got to high school, a friend of mine became a Christian and started to talk to me about the Lord. I didn't want anything to do with God, but one night I just said, God, if you're real, please show me. The next day I asked God why he let all of this happen to me if he was so good and so powerful. And I opened the Bible just to see if God would answer me. And I flipped open to John 9, where the disciples are talking to Jesus and they see a man who was blind from birth. And they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God would be displayed in his life. So God was answering my question that my suffering and disability had a purpose, that it would glorify God. So I committed my life to Christ, and it was only then that I started to see my sin, my bitterness, the ways I had treated my family, and I was grateful that I had a Savior who died on the cross for me, that I could spend eternity with Him. My family noticed the change right away. Actually, my sister told my mom, I know she's become a Christian because she's completely different. Well, I got involved in church and Bible study and thought I was about to live my best life now. And for years, life was wonderful. But then in my early 30s, my infant son died, Paul, because of a doctor's mistake. At the funeral, I felt close to God, but soon afterwards, I pulled away. I, I couldn't believe that God would let this happen. Sort of like what Tom mentioned recently, I was a quiet quitter. But when I was in driving one day, I just called out to God in desperation, and the presence of God filled my car. And I felt this overwhelming sense of peace that I can't explain, but it grounded my faith in Him. But then six years later, I was diagnosed with post-polio syndrome, which means my body is getting weaker, and one day I could eventually be a quadriplegic. 
Much of my decline is up to me. The more I do, the weaker I get. So they told me I needed to give up everything, my hobbies, cooking, scrapbooking, painting, and concentrate on self-care. But God met me in that as well. But then six years later, my husband Dave came home and said he was leaving for someone else and soon moved out of state. We were both really involved in the church here at Christ Covenant. I was teaching women's Bible study, and I remember screaming at Tom and Carol's house, why does God hate me? I felt abandoned by God, and so did my daughters, Katie and Christy. But the church beautifully came around us, and God met me even in the most unthinkable pain. And I fell more in love with Jesus as he met me with scripture through the Bible every morning. Dave and I eventually divorced, and I later met and married an amazing man named Joel. I don't know what you think about my story. It may sound really depressing, but through every trial, God has not only been good, he's been better than I imagined. I agree with Johnny Erickson Tata, who said, I wouldn't trade places with anyone to be this close to Jesus. Now, I wasn't baptized before this because I had been involved in a Presbyterian church before joining Christ's Covenant for years, ever since I became a Christian, and they practiced infant baptism. But recently, I was reading scripture and felt called to be baptized myself as an adult. So today, I want to be baptized and proclaim my faith in Jesus.